Good morning, church. A friend reminded me this morning that we sure do need Sunday mornings. We need them because during the week our attention is grabbed by so many things, work, school, sports, the daily grind, that we need Sunday morning so that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ can grab our attention once again. Our scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Maybe you've heard about the little boy who asked God for a bike. And he said, well, I learned that God doesn't work like that. So I stole a bike and asked God for forgiveness. We expect God to forgive our sins, don't we? We just expect it. But when it comes to us forgiving people's sins, we kind of get tripped up don't we? C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Forgiveness can be one of the biggest hang-ups for Christians. Yet there is nothing more central to the gospel message than forgiveness. Arboring resentment and anger and bitterness towards another person is a cancer that destroys relationships. It certainly affects the relationship with the person that you're angry with. But did you know it also affects your relationship with God in more than one way? First of all, those who are hurting because of resentment and bitterness and anger towards another, those people are more vulnerable to sin. They're hurting and so they look for temporary relief. So they, they might turn to drugs, alcohol, pornography, other vices. Not everybody does, but some people do. So you're more vulnerable to sin. That, that definitely affects your relationship with God. Also, your own forgiven status before God is affected by your anger and bitterness towards somebody else. Did you know that the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that is conditional is forgiveness. Did you know that? Jesus says right after the Lord's Prayer, after He teaches His disciples how to pray, He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That kind of steps on my toes. I don't know about you, but that's some pretty heavy stuff. I mean, your own status of forgiveness depends on your forgiveness of others. So forgiveness is serious business. Not to be taken lightly, it's more than just a suggestion. This is why when you forgive someone, the first person to be set free... Is yourself. And we'll talk about that a little bit more 
But the primary way this is true is because your relationship with God is free to thrive when you forgive. God likes forgivers. God likes forgivers. So, given the monumental importance of forgiveness and the fact that there's nothing more true to the gospel than forgiveness, let me just point out a couple things this morning about forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is a gift and not a wage. Forgiveness is a gift and not a wage. The person that you need to forgive doesn't deserve it. They don't deserve to be forgiven. If they deserved to be forgiven, it would be a wage and not a gift. But forgiveness is a gift. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35 this morning. We're going to focus on this parable of Jesus, the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's kind of a long parable. It's 15 verses. We're going to read the whole thing. So be diligent to, to let this scripture go right to your heart. Beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus, is, I, J, excuse me, Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servant saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is an illuminating story Jesus tells about forgiveness. And we see that one thing we learn here in this parable is that when you're in the position where you need to forgive, where somebody has done you wrong, you are in the position of a king. You have power. Right? You have control. You have authority. And, and, you know, it sounds good to have all that power and authority to be king. It's good to be king, after all. So you have the power to either forgive 
or you have the power to make that person earn their way back into your good graces. Even through painful, torturous coercion. I mean, after all, this person is wrong. You are right. They owe you something. This person has become your slave now and you are their master. You can control them. You are in power. So let me zoom in on verse 26 and 27 of this parable for just a moment. And I want you uh, to put yourself in the shoes of the king, the position of power here. In verse 26, Jesus says, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now put yourself in the position of the king. What should the king do? The king has every right to throw this servant in prison. The king has every right to do that, not only to this person, but their family. To make it hard for them. Torture them. But, what if the king wanted to be merciful? What would a merciful king do in this scenario? Well, wouldn't it be true that if the king wanted to be merciful, that he would comply with the servant's request? The, the servant said, be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. I will. Just give me some more time. So if the king was merciful, the king would say, okay, you pitiful servant, today's your lucky day. I will indeed be patient with you. And I will indeed give you more time to pay me back. I will be merciful. Is this what the king does? Listen to verse 27. The king says, Jesus says, The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I'm sorry, can you repeat that? It sounds like you said you just canceled my debt, and now I am free to go? Are you kidding? Is this... Some kind of a sick joke you're playing here on me. And herein lies the beauty of forgiveness. It's not a joke. Forgiveness is a gift. In its purest, truest form, forgiveness is just a gift. I mean, the word give is right there in the word forgiveness. Forgiveness, right? It's all gift. No wage. And forgiveness really goes beyond mercy. It's like mercy on steroids. Because forgiveness strips someone completely of self. There is no selfishness whatsoever in forgiveness. What you get out of the deal simply doesn't matter anymore. You don't matter. It's simply what is best for the one who has wronged you. That's all that matters. That's it. So we find in the remainder of the parable that what's good for the person who is forgiven is that not only he or she is set free from that debt, but he, should, he or she should catch that forgiveness like you catch a cold. It should be contagious. And then that person should forgive whatever brother or sister has something against him or her. So forgiveness should be Reciprocal, it should multiply, it should duplicate, it should spread, infiltrate, 
and define God's people. It should be contagious. And given the fact that forgiveness is such a hard thing to do in this world, I would think that people would rally to a place where forgiveness is the standard and not the exception. Talk about being a light on a hill. People want to be someplace where forgiveness is practiced and where it's not the exception. Well, what else is going on here in this parable? You notice that the king can give forgiveness because he sees the servant as a person. He actually sees this servant as a person and not as an object. Whatever the servant owes, it's not worth as much as the person itself, himself. In the case of this parable, um, the servant actually owes what today would be the equivalent to millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. So the king is looking down in his position of power from his throne and he doesn't see millions of dollars worth of debt. If that's what the king saw, he would be seeing just an object. He would be seeing money. Instead, the king looks down at the servant and sees an actual person, a human being, not an object. And maybe that's something that you're struggling with. Maybe you, you are seeing a few people in your life as objects, not as real people. You're just seeing the person for their debt, their imperfections, their faults, their incompetencies, their mistakes, transgressions, and sins. That When you do that, you're looking at somebody as an object and not as a person. Because right there in front of you exists this whole time an actual person, a human being with their own challenges, with their own weaknesses, worth, at least in God's eyes, much more than millions of dollars. Joanne and David were separated after they got married and David showed his true colors. He was terribly abusive, controlling, and jealous. And so Joanne moved in with her mother, her and the kids. They all moved in with her mother. And David would oftentimes try to coax Joanne uh, to take him back. And it was a struggle And David one day comes to Joanne and says, I'm going to commit suicide. And Joanne, for her, this was actually music to her ear. He thought, he thought, okay. He didn't do anything to stop David from committing suicide. And so I want to, I want to read Joanne's response after David went home to his apartment. It was in the middle of the night and he went to write his suicide note but the power went out and it was pitch black and this was just enough excuse not to go through with the suicide. So David shows up much to Joanne's chagrin the next day at her door and I I want you to hear Joanne's side of the story. 
Joanne says, As he told me this story, I felt fury. I had come so close to being rid of him, finally so close, and one tiny twist of fate had ruined it for me. I was still stuck with this cruel, unstable man, the man who had destroyed my confidence, who showed every intention of tormenting me the rest of my life. I had never before been so consumed with hate. My disappointment was so intense, I decided immediately what I would have to do. I knew, especially given his current emotional state, that if I handled the situation the right way, he would likely try suicide again. So I opened my mouth to say coldly that I still thought he was a horrible monster and that I would never come back to him no matter what he did. I was about to say that I didn't care if he lived or died and that if anything, I preferred him dead. I was prepared to be as cruel as necessary to drive him back to suicide. But then I paused. I still raged with hate, but I paused. I saw how close I was to encouraging a human being to die and was shocked by how far I was willing to carry my hate. I looked at him and was suddenly struck by something. I was struck by his personhood, his humanity. Here before me was a person. A person with incredible emotional problems, to be sure, but a person nonetheless with his own own deep hurts, his own heavy burdens, he himself had been raised in an abusive environment with very little love and almost no kindness. These thoughts made me cry. To my surprise, however, these were not tears of despair, but tears of compassion. After all, this was a man who had intended to end his life. I found myself putting my arm around him to comfort him. It's a moment I still can't fully comprehend. In spite of everything he had done to me, I was consumed with love. And most surprising to me of all, from that moment, the moment I began seeing David as a person, I was never again tempted to return to the relationship. So forgiveness is a gift that you give to a person and not a wage that you give to an object. By the way, this is in a book uh, called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. So, moving on, just as forgiveness is a gift and not a wage, so is forgiveness a choice and not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling. We see that in the parable that we read. The king, I am sure, was frustrated with the servant, was angry at the servant. I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars here. Yet that didn't stand in his way of his choice to cancel the debt. Listen to Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. We can learn here a lot about God. Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl 
our iniquities into the depth of the sea. Look at how God forgives sins. He treads our sin underfoot. He just mows them over, stomps them into the ground. He hurls them into the sea. It reminds me of that show, Deadliest Catch, where those fishermen are just hurling their tackle into the depths of the sea with all their might, just hurling them as far as they can get them. This is how God forgives our sins, just hurls them out to sea. This is how God forgives. And such violent dismissal can only come with intention, with a decision of mind. That doesn't happen by accident. God decided to forgive. See, I bet you think that you have to feel forgiving in order to forgive. You think that you have to feel forgiving to have to forgive? See, it doesn't work like that. You don't have to feel like forgiving in order to choose to forgive. You don't move from feeling and healing then to forgiveness. You move from forgiveness, the choice to forgive, onto the feeling and the healing. Forgiveness comes first. Healing and the feeling come next. So the way you feel doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness. So stop beating yourself up if you don't feel forgiving. Okay? It just means that all systems are normal. When you're hurt, when you get cut, it hurts. That's normal. When you get cut, you bleed. That's normal. But don't let the pain stand in your way of the choice to forgive. Healing comes after forgiveness. So Joanne reveals what she learned from her experience as treating people as indeed persons instead of objects. And listen to what she says. When I started seeing people, the world transformed around me. I now feel free, not just from an unhealthy relationship, but from feelings that might otherwise have poisoned me. Without the bitterness that could have burdened me for a lifetime. You see, when we treat people as persons and make the choice to forgive, the first person you set free is yourself. So, this morning, what is standing in your way to forgive the person you need to forgive? Maybe you don't, you're here and you don't have anyone to forgive. That's great. But if there is somebody you need to forgive, what is standing in your way? Is it pride? Your ego? Maybe you've thought, well, I wasn't treated fairly. Nobody listened to me. My opinion didn't matter. Nobody cares about me. She deliberately hurt me. They don't respect me. He knew better. He was wrong. I was right. They should have to suffer. He doesn't deserve my time, my forgiveness. So, this is going to be a little bit awkward, not too awkward, but I want everybody 
So just kind of look around the room for a minute. Just look around people's faces. Okay? I know it's a little bit awkward, but, you know, it's all right. So if you are looking for a perfect relationship in this room where there is no differences, no hurt, no pain, no sin, nobody who's going to hurt you, uh, no selfishness, you're not going to find it here. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound good. And it's not because this room is full of a bunch of jerks. Okay? That's far from the truth. Okay? Everybody here is actually quite wonderful. It's true. But it's because everybody here is human. Right? Including yourself. Nobody here is perfect. And the power of our sinfulness is surprisingly horrendous. Okay, that's one thing we all have in common, is we are sinful. We all have sin in common. So our sin has destroyed the ability to have perfect communion with each other. And so we groan and we yearn for perfect relationships and perfect unity. And you know what? Those groanings and those yearnings They're healthy. It's okay to groan for something perfect, to yearn for something better. I think that is the Holy Spirit interacting with our spirit, pulling us towards God, pulling us towards something better, not letting us be complacent. But while we're here, until that time where everything is perfect, we are in an unperfect place, imperfect place, with imperfect people. And like the scripture that we read at the beginning of the sermon, we have to bear with one another. Okay, that's what Paul says, to bear with one another and to forgive whatever grievances you may have. You see, Paul just assumes that we're going to have grievances towards one another. That's assumed. It's a given. There are going to be grievances. You're going to have to bear with one another. That's what it's like to be human on earth. The solution is forgiveness. So, maybe all you're seeing is the bad and the ugly and you forgot about the good because there is a lot of good. And oftentimes, the good cannot be seen until you realize the power of your own sin. This quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, really uh, hits the nail on the head. He says, Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest of sins of a brother. That is very true. Very true. So if there is someone standing in need of your forgiveness, have you considered how God has forgiven your sin? Have you considered your own sin and what God has done? How He's trampled your sins until there's nothing left of them into the ground. They can't be seen at all. How He's just hurled them as far as He can throw. I've heard that God has a good arm. He can really throw your sins far away, never to be seen again into the depths of the sea. 
If there was someone standing in need of forgiveness, have you considered that God has actually forgiven this person? God has forgiven this person. And we all know how much better God is than you are, but yet God can forgive. I'm afraid that if you're having trouble forgiving somebody, you have a vision problem. There's something wrong with your vision. All you see is this pitiful, naked, abandoned soul in front of you. When what you should really see is your brother or sister draped in a beautiful cloak of forgiveness. I don't know about you, but it matters to me what people wear. And I have this pet peeve, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on some of your toes, and I'm just going to have to ask for forgiveness later. Um, but I have this pet peeve of when people wear slippers and pajamas in public. Okay, that really irks me. I'm like, man, you didn't even try today. Like, wow. But, you know, I am going to, and I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I am going to approach somebody a little bit differently if they're wearing slippers, pajamas, and bedhead than if they're wearing a suit and tie. I made sure and wore my best suits this morning. thought that was appropriate. But... You know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but that's just that's just me. I'm gonna I'm gonna approach somebody differently depending on what they wear. Okay? So God, through Christ, has given your brother or sister this fine tailored Armani suit. Okay, this isn't Armani. But God has given them just the finest custom fit suit or dress. That, is, that has ever been made. And it's made of forgiveness. And you're standing there looking at them and you can't give them one sock. Not one thread of forgiveness. Sure, you're, you're fine with Christ's blood forgiving your brother or sister. That's all fine and dandy. But when, when it comes to you... You're forcing them to go back to the old law of animal sacrifice and offering over and over again, trying to earn their way to your forgiveness. So today, if you need to forgive somebody, picture this person in a fine, beautiful outfit of forgiveness. And remember your own sin. Remember your own suit of forgiveness that you're wearing. And if God can forgive this person, what's stopping you? And if God can have this relationship with somebody, this very intimate, personal relationship with this somebody, why can't you? Because you know what? When we give up on our relationships with each other, when we stop trying Guess who wins? Satan wins. When we try, when we bear with one another and forgive each other's grievances and when we clothe ourselves with gentleness and humility and kindness, guess who wins? God wins that battle. And we want God to win. We want to be winners in God's eyes. So if we give up on our relationships, 
that means Satan wins. So, are you having trouble forgiving this morning? If so, remember, forgiveness is a gift. Free gift. They don't deserve it. It's a gift and not a wage. And it's also a choice and not a feeling. You don't have to feel forgiving in order to forgive. Forgiveness comes first. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Father, with humility and gentleness and patience. Father, we realize that we are sinful people. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his blood and the cloak of forgiveness that you've given us, we would have no hope. We would have no righteousness. We would be bad and ugly. There would be nothing good. So, Father, we thank you for the forgiven status that we have. And with that in mind, help us to bear with one another. Help us to forgive our grievances. Help us to make the effort to clothe ourselves with gentleness and humility and kindness and patience because we know that that takes effort. Just like it takes effort to get it ready in the morning and, and put a suit on. Father, help us in that endeavor. May you win in our battle to not give up on our relationships and not give up on forgiveness. And Father, may the end result be that we are a light to this community, that people would see that forgiveness is standard and that love is standard and that we have a great hope that someday our groanings and our yearnings will come to fruition and that we will one day live in your presence forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So whatever your need this morning, if you need help to forgive, you can see one of our elders, you can see myself. If you need to be baptized this morning and put on Christ, be baptized into his death and start a new life, you can come forward now as we stand and sing.